Welcome to ACOM Insight, the weekly podcast about higher education by the Association of Independent Colleges and Universities in Massachusetts. This week, ACOM Senior Vice President and General Counsel Rob McCarran interviews Representative Alice Peisch, House Chair of the Joint Committee on Education. To begin, here's Rob. Hi everyone, I'm Rob McCarran, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at ACOM. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of ACOM Insight, a podcast that highlights people, policies, and programs and their connection to the higher education sector here in Massachusetts. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Representative Alice Peisch, who currently serves as House Chair of the Joint Committee on Education. Chairwoman Peisch represents a district that includes the towns of Wellesley, Weston, and part of Wayland. She was first elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives in 2002, and for the last 10 years, she has led the Joint Committee on Education. Chair Peisch is a proud graduate of three ACOM institutions, Smith College, Suffolk University Law School, and the Kennedy School at Harvard University. As a resident of Wellesley, I am fortunate to be able to say that Chairwoman Peisch is my representative at the State House. Chair Peisch, it is a great uh, to be able to welcome you to ACOM Insight. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Rob. And, um, you know, I think it's almost impossible to have a conversation these days and not talk about the disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, for example, as you well know, the sudden onset of the pandemic in March 2020 necessitated a rapid shift to remote learning for both K-12 and higher education. And your position as chair of the Education Committee provides a unique perspective, so I I would be interested in in your thoughts on the challenges that COVID-19 created for the K-12 sector and and your involvement in those kind of early days and as things evolved. Sure. So (laughs) it's hard to know where to begin. Yeah. um, (laughs) On some level, it seems like we've been in this situation forever. Um, Although, I'll say a year ago when when the schools... uh, and, and everything else shut down. I think we all were naively thinking uh, this is a two, three week maybe uh, shutdown and then we'll clean the schools and we'll all be back. And, you know, it seemed as though very gradually it became clear that this was something that we were going to have to deal with for the long haul. And I think what you saw initially were a wide range of responses. Yes. From school districts. Um, and in, in how they, you know, initially responded, and then, you know, the, the department really stepping in, um, you know, with initial guidance on short-term closure and, and remote, and then, and then much more as time went on. Um, and then, of course, we had to take some legislative action in, in some areas to, um, for example, to um, allow the commissioner to uh, cancel the MCAS tests last year and yep. to um, develop a, an alternative um, competency determination for those uh, 12th graders who were um, on the verge of graduating, but maybe hadn't had the opportunity to take that final uh, test so that they could to pass and, and graduate. Yeah, you're so right about the, the suddenness of it um, and, and the sudden response. And, you know, colleges did the same thing. They, they sent everyone home, worked from home, uh, pivoted to remote learning in just an incredibly short period of time. And, and I, you know, as you mentioned, I, I was in, of the same mindset thinking, you know, I had, I had a daughter who was a senior in high school and thought, oh, there's no way you won't have a graduation in late May. Of course you will. 
this we'll be through this by then. And, you know, and here we are um, now, a year later, hoping that we're at the, the other side of this. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, the fact that you took legislative action. That was one of the things I thought was interesting, how the legislature responded and, and still was able to do a lot of well, really everything that they did with regard to budgets and, and everything through that whole process and how, you know, K through 12 pivoted, but so did the, so did the state legislature. Um, yes. I mean, we went from uh, a situation where, as you know, from your experience working in the building, uh, that you, there was, you had to, if you weren't there, you, you didn't count, right? There was no such thing as a uh, remote vote uh, or a remote hearing. Um, we, we went, we had some remote oversight hearings um, to try to get a handle on what was happening. And then we, we uh, very quickly um, developed a mechanism by which we could actually be in session remotely so that we could take these actions that we needed to. And I really give a lot of credit to uh, Speaker DeLeo's office and um, his staff and a variety of my colleagues who really stepped up and figured out um, how to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, it it's, it really was amazing, and 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 then as you saw, as you mentioned that you know the, as the response kind of evolved through the end of that school year and over the summer, and then this fall and winter, we've seen a variety of learning models used throughout the Commonwealth, with some districts choosing to go fully remote, some in person to some extent, but also hybrid. Are there are there things that you learned or most surprised you during this process? Well, I think a lot of people learned that um, they actually can use technology. Um, I think one of the one of the you know hopefully silver linings to this is when we do finally get to the the end, uh, that I think you'll see a much um, more sophisticated and better use of technology in schools. Not so much for remote learning, but I think you you know you, you had a, a little bit of a fear factor, particularly among people older, my age probably. <laughs> who didn't feel comfortable with it. And, and maybe we're a little bit afraid of it. Yeah. But when you had no choice, it was, I think, remarkable the degree to which everyone really, you know, went in there and figured it out. Yeah. And, you know, there were some more successfully than others. But I think as we as we go forward, we're going to see, and, you know, you, you have some, I think, by and large, in-person learning. There's no substitute for in-person learning. And the technology can be more of a support, but we we have seen situations where children for whom the social aspect of school is more challenging than the academic um, have actually thrived in this situation where they haven't had to worry about being bullied or uh, you know who are they going to sit with at the lunch table. Yeah. So uh, a lot of things that um, you cost us probably it's going to cause us something to rethink how how we do something that, that's really interesting particularly the the impact it could have on folks i mean to really allow someone to focus on the learning part and not be stressed about the other parts and i know exactly what you were talking about with the pivoting to remote learning i mean we had college presidents that if you told them you know you have to put all of your classes on remote and and through video they would it would have been impossible and yet and yet they did it and were able to do it and and it also i think to your point a lot of reinforced for people the value of the in-person on-campus experience, but also um, being able to augment that with the, the video learning and for particularly for people who learn in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, 
you don't like to say there's a silver lining to a pandemic, but it is these unique disruptive learning opportunities that I think will be interesting to see how they play out um, as you, you know, once we get we once we do get through this. Yeah, I, and I, I think that will be very interesting. And, and you know, the next what four to six months is going to be uh, very challenging as we I think, I think we deal with two things, which I'm sure the colleges are also having to cope, you know, wrestle with, which is can we get everyone back in September? I mean, yes. as you know, um, the elementary and middle schools are coming back this month um, and the high schools shortly thereafter, presumably. But I, I think the anticipation is that over the course of the next few months, it'll be a little uh, rough, you know, yep. a little bit of trial and error. But I think the hope is that if we do that now, when September hits, you know, people are, you know, up and ready to go and they're not, they've figured out where the bumps in the road are. Um, yeah. But, um, they, so you've got that aspect of it. And then you have trying to get our arms around how much loss actually occurred and how do we address that loss? Uh, and that's, that yeah, that's, a, that's a, a really, that's a challenge. That's a really interesting, a really interesting challenge and question. And it's, um, it is interesting because you do mention that, um, you know, students this week have started to return to the classroom in person as much as possible and, and using these next couple months to, um, uh, you know, take care of, try to get, uh, resolve some issues and, and smooth out the bumps in the road so that they do hit the ground running. And, and the good news is the, the data we're seeing, seeing in the, and, and we're, our, our colleges are doing the same thing, planning for the fall. And, and what they're being told is, you know, vaccinations, if we get to a certain point of vaccinations, you know, there's going to be a real opportunity to get as close to possible as normal as, as we could hope for, for both K through 12 and higher education. Um, but but you do, you raise a really interesting question with, okay, we do get back to normal and, and we're back to in-person learning, but you know, what, what, have, what, has, what learning loss has occurred over the last year and how is that gonna play out um, yeah, and in the K through 12 system? And then, you know, those problems, you know, end up on a college campus. Of course they do. And I think the, the one that's gonna be the most immediate for you is the kids that were in the 11th and 12th grade for the past, you know, last year and then this year, um, are they ready when they show up on your campuses? Um, you know, yes. and, and are, are, are we, are, are, is K-12, I mean, there's always a little bit of a, a tension, I think, between uh, K-12 and, and higher ed about maybe who's responsible for what when you have, uh, you know, students show up and they don't seem ready. Well, is is it the institution's response to, you know, kind of fill in the gaps, or should we have done a better job in K twelve? It's probably a little bit of both. But in this instance, I think it's going to require a lot of collaboration, right? Because there'll be a recognition that if you're think, in school, I think you're exactly school, right. Uh, of course, what more? Can I think you're exactly done? right, and and yeah. And I was uh, on a call earlier today that uh, I think started to, yeah, <laughs> I was on a call today th and, and that, that was one of the issues that came up is how, what is it that schools, that colleges, universities could be doing um, over the summer to try to help address some of the, or try to think about what those concerns are and how they might work with 
um, whether it's more camps or more things just to, as you mentioned, smooth out the bumps in the road that we're, we're going to see between now and September. If you, I know that on the K-12 side, one of the things the commissioner has been talking about is um, obviously the traditional summer school and beefing that up, but also maybe starting um, for certain kids who are identified as really kind of behind as a result of this coming, starting a week or two early with these intensive, uh, what he refers to as acceleration academies. But I could imagine a, a higher ed model where you identify certain kids, you bring them there early and try to get them um, better prepared to, to start with their peers yeah. when, when school actually begins. Yeah. I think that will be an interesting conversation. And, and I think what another part of this um, that would, would take a much longer podcast to talk about is not only the academic part, but it, it's the mental health part, the mental health concerns that um, we, we were seeing before the pandemic on college campuses. And it's just going to be, you know, I think something that comes along at the other side of this that everyone's going to have to deal with. Yeah, um, there's no question over the past several years that's that's an issue that seems to have been increasing at all grade levels. Really surprising to me, actually, the degree to which we were hearing about it at very young ages. And um, and I, yeah. I imagine, you know, at, at the uh, higher ed level, you have, you have kids who, you know, are not, they're away from their homes, maybe, like the support system they're used to isn't there, so... You put that together with COVID and um, uh, very challenging. So very challenging. In fact, it's one of the two, um, two one of the two key issues that our presidents want us to to focus on as a as a sector is just thinking about and addressing those mental health concerns as, as yeah. we do get to the other side. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, one other program that I thought we would uh, quickly touch on is. Um, is early college because there are many colleges and universities in Massachusetts that you know partner with K through 12 to implement early college programs and and these are programs that allow students to take free college classes and earn college credits while still in high school and it not only exposes them to college level courses but really gives them the confidence to think college is, is in their future and can be part of their future and and we look at Merrimack College and the great program they have with the city of Lawrence, Cambridge College also has has a program like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about what uh, how you've seen these programs from the K through twelve perspective? Sure, um, they have. I think becoming increasingly popular, and the data does seem to suggest that uh, students that participate in, in in these programs, particularly those who would be first generation college. Um, have a much higher um, rate of uh, actually going on to attend and complete um, a, a higher ed program. Uh, so I think there's a great benefit to them. Um, I have seen, you know, in this, uh, in the Metro West area, I believe the Marlboro High School has had a, a long running program with um, one of the community colleges and, um, and it's been very successful. And I'm hearing more and more support for that. I think um, the, the the key, like anything, is to to understand exactly what we're talking about, and and to make sure that these programs are appropriate for the students that we're sending to them. And uh, I know that they often run. Yeah. Um, sometimes they sort of over time uh, they gradually build up to going to the college. So you might have high school teachers who become certified to teach the college course 
initially uh, at the high school, and then maybe after the student has had one or two of these courses, they move to taking it at the at the higher ed institution itself. I think the point you raise, though, is very yeah. important about the, the student seeing him or herself as a college student and how important that is to their success. So that's the, the aspect of it that really appeals to me. Because um, as you know, we, we have done a, a, a pretty good job in terms of um, increasing both graduation, high school graduation rates and starting goal, you know, college um, acceptance and but where we where we're struggling is in the completion. And I think these programs yep. are much more likely to result in students, as you say, feeling comfortable and confident that they, they belong there and, and therefore can succeed. And, and it is a nice way to think of it as, as not everyone needs to follow the traditional, uh, and, and I think fewer and fewer, um, or a greater number of college students think there's a different pathway and that's perfectly fine, whether it's taking some credits through early college and then uh, community college, and we've been working a lot with community colleges to then find pathways from the community college to the four-year school. So there is this continuous pathway that ultimately gets you to a to a full BA degree and, and, right. and access to different jobs that uh, you might not otherwise have access to. Yes, no, I, I think it's um, uh, and, and and also encompassing some of the other um, certifications. Not necessarily for, to your point, not everyone is going to follow the same path. But for, you know, for some of these students, it's, it's getting a certification. So when they graduate, they can uh, become employed. They may or may not go back at a later date. The other thing that's, I think, really positive about it is it allows the students to get college credit at really no cost if they are still in high school, no cost to the yes. students. And so when you think of students who yep. we often hear about amassing enormous debt, uh, this is one way to, uh, in combination with other, um, you know, programs to to mitigate that problem. No, you're right. I think it's a really unique way for the state to in invest in the student. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is, as you said, it's a credential that they have and then can use. And then they're already at a different level before they even went to the, went to a four-year or two-year school. It really is. It's, it's something that they have earned and through their own work, but with the investment by the state to help make it possible. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, Atlas, I really appreciate um, you taking time because I know it's an incredibly busy time of year with budget coming up. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us for just to talk about a few issues and how they connect with higher ed. And I, I look forward to uh, seeing you around town, particularly now that the, the weather is starting to get nicer. And I just wanted to really say thank you, Representative Peich, for, for being here. Well, well, thank you very much. And I believe you are uh, going to be taking on a new role in the not too distant future, if I'm not mistaken. So I wanted to- I will be, uh, yes. <laughs> thank uh, you. Wish you well in that capacity. And, and I too look forward to running into you uh, walking down Washington Street. Yes, I look forward to it. Or Roach Brothers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you very Thanks much, and, and we'll talk soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Acom Insight. We will be back with a new episode next week. Be sure to listen and share.